Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today we're going to talk about the Jesse Smollett whitewash update, major league thing the police did today. Uh, we're going to talk also about President Trump's free speech order. I didn't get to it yesterday. It really matters to talk about today. Last thing, the Democrats are on track for the Paycheck Fairness Act, another Marxist manipulation. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. We talked yesterday, it was kind of breaking news yesterday, that the police in Chicago had announced that they were going to be dropping all charges. The prosecutor was dropping all charges against Jesse Smollett. And this was in the face of overwhelming, almost irrefutable proof that Jesse Smollett was behind, that he concocted a hoax and made a false report to the police about having been attacked by someone in the middle of the night, making racial and homophobic slurs at him and physically uh, assaulting him. And the whole thing was set up and paid for by Jesse Smollett, as was testified to, by his co-conspirators, two Nigerian, uh, in fact, one of them being a friend of his. Well, developments today in this story. Yesterday, of course, we heard Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel uh, giving a press conference, just outraged by this and referred to it as a whitewashing. And the chief of police, or he's called the police superintendent, also really dismayed, standing by the police's work, uncovering overwhelming evidence that Jesse Smollett simply lied to the police when he said that he was attacked. He perpetrated a hoax on the police, on the people of Chicago, and frankly, on the people of America. Well, a couple of updates happened. First, I want to play for you the statement that Jesse Smollett made after he was released. He was released by the, um, with, with the prosecutor was saying, no charges, everything's dropped, move forward. What he had to do was to pay to uh, not get back his $10,000 bond and agree to some community service. So basically, he got off scot-free. Here's what Jesse Smollett had to say. First of all, I want to thank my family, my friends, the incredible people of Chicago and all over the country and the world who have prayed for me, who have supported me, who have shown me so much love. No one will ever know how much that has meant to me, and I will forever be grateful. I want you to know that not for a moment was it in vain. I have been truthful and consistent on every single level since day one. I would not be my mother's son if I was capable of one drop of what I've been accused of. This has been an incredibly difficult time, honestly one of the worst of my entire life. You see, he's the victim here because he actually was caught in what he did. But in case you did not catch the words he was saying, he is denying any wrongdoing. He is claiming his innocence. Now let's play. There was actually an interview with a prosecutor, the main prosecutor in this case, a prosecutor who got to decide whether or not to drop charges against Jesse Smollett. Here is his interview about what he thinks about the decision to drop charges against Jesse Smollett. Do you think Mr. Smollett did what he was charged with doing? Yes, we stand behind the CPD's investigation in this case, the great work, the tremendous work that they did in investigating this case. Do you consider him innocent? No. Okay, that is the main prosecutor. He's saying he's not innocent. 
they did not exonerate him. In fact, in another clip in that same story, we did not exonerate him. The name is Joe Magas, M-A-G-A-T-S, the assistant state attorney, um, and he was the one that gave that that um, interview to the New York Times. He or gave a statement to the New York Times. He said very firmly, we stand behind the investigation. We stand behind the evidence. The evidence the police reported was solid. Well, the Chicago police were upset yesterday, not just because Jesse Smollett was released by the prosecutors, no charges, scot-free, but also because they were not even given heads up. The prosecutor, in what is apparent to everyone, made a political decision that this young man, closely tied to many prominent national Democrat figures in this country, this young man was simply not going to stand trial and, this, and, and be embarrassed in front of the country. And secondly, they decided, in my opinion, that the idea of having the headlines and the news stories covering Justice Smollett's ongoing prosecution was simply too much to bear for the Democrat Party as they lead up to election year, uh, year this uh, next year, as they as they're getting the elections, their uh, candidates are out there. You know, particularly, of course, Kamala Harris, but others um, out there arguing that they're the best candidate for Demo to be the Democrat president. Um, I want to show you some. When I tell you that he is closely connected, I mentioned yesterday the moment Jesse Smollett was was um, made his accusation, the news became national news instantly that he was accosted by someone in the middle of the night in Chicago and that he claimed these people had MAGA hats on. They were yelling, this is MAGA country, and they were making racial and homophobic slurs. A slew of left-wingers in this country, including very powerful people, came out in just utter uh, sympathy, uh, completely believing his story, including Kamala Harris. Well, there are other prominent Democrats also close with Jesse Smollett. And I'm sorry, I just heard them pronounce it Smollett. I don't mean to mispronounce his name, but whatever it's pronounced as, I want to show you some pictures of just how tight Jesse Smollett is with nationally prominent figures. Here he is with President Obama and Michelle Obama. Next picture. There were, I think this next one, yeah, this one was at a ceremony. There were about 10 of these I could have showed you. Same ceremony, Michelle Obama in the same dress, same outfit, Jesse Smollett on stage with her. He's obviously tight with the Obamas. Next clip, if you could, uh, also with President Obama. And last clip, he was even on stage in a singing and dancing performance. With, that's Michelle Obama uh, that he's staying there with. So this is a guy closely tied to the Obamas. This is a guy that the Democrat media mob in this country simply could not stand to have being front and center as a criminal defendant in a trial ongoing in Chicago related to having made what everyone knows was a hoax accusation, made false statements to the police, false statements in his interviews with the district attorney's office going forward toward prosecution. The evidence had gone to a grand jury. He'd been indicted, meaning they had to hear the evidence themselves. He had the, his Nigerian co-conspirators cooperating with the police, telling the grand jury, telling the police what happened. So there's no question what really happened here. But what is really rubbing a lot of people wrong in this country is that, as you heard Justice Smollett's statement, obviously part of the deal that he got, in addition to dropping the charges, he was not even told, which he certainly could have been, the prosecutors could have said, Part of the deal in dropping charges against you is you do not go out there in public and proclaim your innocence. But they didn't do that. They let him loose 
with the right, obviously, the right, and his lawyers also making similar statements. In fact, the lawyer statements scolding the people of America for daring to jump to such rash conclusions. I mean, just because there were eyewitnesses who saw them together, just because they have the check that Jesse Smollett wrote to the two Nigerian co-conspirators, just because the co-conspirators have told the whole story, they, they acknowledged the hoax, they told the, the investigators that Smollett cooked it up because he was upset about not getting what he thought was an adequate salary for his performance in some role on, on, a, Empire, on a Fox News show. So today, what the police of Chicago did was really, I mean, it's kind of a little tiny bit of a comeuppance to the prosecutors who dropped the whole thing. The police issued to the public, released to the public, the entire criminal investigation file of Jesse Smollett. They put it out there on the internet. And they did that about one hour before a judge who was hearing a motion on it, before a judge had the opportunity to rule that the remaining investigative files relating to this accusation of, of Jesse Smollett, this Jesse Smollett hoax, this judge was ruling on the question of whether or not the remaining files should be held confidential. It should be, it should be kept from the public. As a matter of fact, the judge did rule that those files had to be kept private, could not be made public, but too late for truth because the police had already released all of those files to the public. And the reason I, I want to talk about this story today, we'll get back to it much later in the show, is that this is not just about whether a young man should be punished in some way over making a hoax accusation. Of course, of course some punishment should have happened. The police actually issued a statement where the prosecutor said, hey, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we have violent crimes to investigate. You know, this was kind of a victimless crime. Smollett's words were kind of a victimless crime. Nobody really got hurt. We don't consider him a danger to the community. We're going to keep his $10,000 bond, which, you know, compared with the millions of dollars of police hour time spent investigating is not much, and he'll do community service. But there was no statement of contrition or apology by the accused, none at all. He's right out there, right in your face, telling you that it didn't happen. So he is perfectly fine continuing the lie. But the real damage from this case is not just that justice wasn't done. Not, it, was the, it was a bigger damage to America. It was the damage to the idea of the rule of law in this country. And the damage to the idea that we're, you know, the rule of law means we all have the same laws applied to all of us, not special laws for special people, no ruling elite class that can excuse its own members from responsibility for complying with the law. That, that was harmed. There's also the public tr um, faith, the public trust in the justice system, deeply harmed, deeply harmed. People look at this. Next time someone who's not famous commits a hoax and is caught, you know the first thing they'll say to the judge, hey, Jesse Smollett didn't have to do anything. He didn't get punished. He didn't get sent to jail. I want, the same, I want what he got. You have really harmed the ability of law enforcement to enforce the law and of our legal system to, to impose punishment when you say, well, some people are exempt, which is what the Chicago prosecutors said in this case. Some people famously connected to the Obamas and to Kamala Harris are somehow exempt from the law. Very, very harmful. The last harm to our, the public from this is that Jesse Smollett's lie, Jesse Smollett's hoax, was not just making up a story, 
a it wasn't a fantasy story about Martians or out of town visitors to Chicago or I mean it, it had a very particular insidious political purpose. It was to perpetuate the left-wing worldview that we live in a deeply racist country where racism is around the corner and under every rock every day, all day long. It was designed to accuse America of being a racist country. It was designed to accuse America of being a homophobic, homophobic country. It was designed to further split and divide this country, designed to perpetuate outrage. The main Democrat Party objective in the 2020 elections and in every discussion of every issue there is, is to perpetuate division, perpetuate anger, perpetuate outrage. This is what Jossie Smollett's accusation was. It was not simply a false accusation of, hey, I think someone stole my, my uh, wallet and I don't know who it was. It was targeted and directed in order to advance the left-wing worldview, the left-wing message to the American public, the left-wing victim manufacturing factory, which is what the Democrat Party is, that's what his hoax was all about. And that's why it is so unjust that he is simply walking pretty much scot-free. And now I want to turn to another story. So, you know, the, I mentioned at the start of the show today, I want to talk about the um, President Trump's free speech uh, executive order. In fact, I want to talk about it yesterday, and somehow we ran out of time. But President Trump signed an executive order um, in um, earlier this week. Or actually, you know what? I know when he signed it. Last week, last Thursday, and I kept, and I, that, my show was already over by the time he signed it. And um, I, I didn't get to the story yesterday, and I meant to. And I want to just spend a few minutes talking about President Trump signed this executive order related to free speech on college campuses. And the main thing, first of all, I have a quick clip of him. He, there, here he is in the White House announcing he signed an executive order, essentially saying that he will target colleges that do not permit free speech by withholding some federal funds. And this is what he had to say very quickly. I am truly delighted to welcome so many impressive young Americans to the White House. This is a very exciting day. What we're doing is very important. And we're here to take historic action to defend American students and American values. They've been under siege. In a few moments, I will be signing an executive order to protect free speech on college campuses. Just the thought <clears throat> of it sounds good. Okay, so that was President Trump. I'm going to tell you that the day that happened was Thursday. And the reason I know that is I happened to go to an event here in Dallas. The show is based in Dallas, uh, in Dallas, Texas, where Charlie Kirk spoke. He's the founder of Turning Point USA. And he was actually with the president that day in the White House when the order was signed. And this has been an ongoing effort of uh, Turning Point USA and many conservative activists to try to put pressure on college campuses to permit free speech, to have a more open exchange and dialogue of a ro the robust exchange of ideas that's supposed to be what America's all about. So Charlie Kirk had been behind it, and so it was kind of fun to hear him talk about that evening at a speech here in Dallas, just talking about the 
energy and kind of energy and happiness and excitement around the idea of reinvigorating free speech on college campuses. You know, I want to tell you about a, a study that uh, a, a major poll that was done, which really goes to the fact or goes to the question of how necessary this executive order was. There was a very large poll done by this group called the McLaughlin, I think it's, uh, I will lose our name, McLaughlin and Associates poll. And they did a major poll of, it had a wide range of ages, young to old, uh, political persuasions, uh, both genders, uh, you know, every race and ethnicity. It was really a wide ranging poll, uh, essentially asking the question, do you think, do you view America as the source of most of the world's ills? And actually we got more specific asking about uh, political, economic and environmental ills or problems. And the astonishingly and horrible answer was, especially young people by majority numbers agreed that America, this precious, generous, noble country is the source of most of the world's ills, economic, environmental and political. On top of that, it went through all the numbers about how many young people uh, believe socialism is a better answer. Um, they said uh, they want, in fact, 53% of younger voters in this big poll said they want America to become more socialist. My point in telling you this, I could go on and on about the poll, but my point in telling you this is we are paying a cost in our society by the fact that education in our country is so rapidly left wing, rapidly left wing. What President Trump did in this executive order is just the beginning. It is just the first volley in this battle that must be undertaken to fix education in America. Our universities, virtually all of them, have become left-wing indoctrination centers. And part of what Trump is trying to say is, if you silence free speech, you're going to have some of your money with that. And I'd be very clear, there's a lot of money. I mean, this order doesn't really cover that many things. It covers 12 executive agencies that give money to colleges. And it will, the order um, encourages the colleges to promote open, intellectually engaging, and diverse debate. And says, basically, tells these 12 executive agencies, federal agencies, to ensure that institutions that receive federal research or education grants promote free inquiry, including compliance with all applicable laws, regulations, and policies. I want to tell you two big points. Number one, I'm going to give you some data about the astonishing left-wing, overwhelming left-wing bias of America's college campuses. And then number two, just make the point, this executive order doesn't even go far enough. I'm going to share some of the complaints about it from the left, because, you know, of course, they've been taking shots at it ever since it was issued. But I want to start with how radically left the college campuses in America are. Democrats, there was a big study done about uh, major universities in America about, you know, first of all, just faculty, Democrat versus Republican registration among faculty in terms of voting. Okay, you had uh, Democrats outnumber uh, Republicans as measured by faculty voter registration by 11.5, so almost 12, 11.5 to 1. So basically every 10 or 11, or I mean 11 or 12 Democrats to one Republican in faculty. Within academic, and this is by the way a study by the um, Economic 
Econ Journal Watch, and you can go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, homepage, go underneath the, um, the uh, show link at the top and look at list of links, and this will be in there. You'll see this data. But number two, within various academic departments, the most conservative professors were found in the economics departments. But even in economics departments, where they might be teaching like, I don't know, free markets versus socialism, even within economics departments, it was still 4.5 Democrats to one Republican. So 4.5 to one, even in economics departments, in history departments, where young people are being taught about what America is, what communism is, what socialism is, what America's done in world history, history departments, I mean, you need to be, you need to be taken, in fact, I'm going to go over this data at the end. The history departments, the ratio was 33.5 Democrats for every one faculty member who's Republican. So it is not like this idea that campuses in America, you know, are left-wing, have such left-wing bias. It's not like that's an exaggeration. It is preposterous how extremely left, how radically left today's college campuses are. One quick comparison back to 1968, so 1968, quite a few years ago, the Democrat to GOP contrast in history departments was only 2.7 to 1. And one of the reasons of this exacerbating factors, um, one factor is that more and more colleges have entire departments like gender studies and multicultural studies, things that are just conservative I mean, these are, these are just left-wing worldview ideology thinking that have made, been made into actual departments, which of course are filled with left-wing thinkers. So college campuses, instead of encouraging the robust idea of debates, endlessly have the whole trigger warnings, safe spaces, blah, 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 which are just ideas that are enemies of free speech. Trump just started the conversation with colleges. It has to go a lot further. Some of the criticisms, just so you know, because the left is not taking this sitting down, some of the criticisms that were that came out right away when Trump um, signed the executive order, you know, one was, well, it's too vague. It lacks guidelines. Well, yes, it, it is vague, yes. It is an executive order. It doesn't have all the detail and does lack guidelines. It, it is, I printed it out, it's like, 15 pages. It's not like a you know, one sentence thing, but they're going to have to be guidelines. And it's going to ca- cause some questions and discussions on both sides of the aisle and really among people in this country. The idea that, you know, for example, if you, a college student, go to a, there's a guest lecturer, there's an event on campus, there's a speaker on campus, and you go to listen to the speaker and you dislike what the speaker's saying uh, and you want to disrupt that speaker and yell and scream and protest and call him or her a liar, is that your free speech right? I mean, obviously not. Colleges have to make all sorts of decisions about, you know, you can't disrupt other people. You can hold a protest outside. You can bring a speaker to campus who takes your side of the issue. But disruptive speech cannot be considered part of the protection of free speech. Obviously, common sense will have to apply. There are tougher questions, though, and I want to just pose one of them for you to think about. Texas A&M, a great school here in Texas, a fairly conservative school, apparently has a policy on campus that does not support the BDS, the the, uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Israel BDS movement, which is boycott, divest, and sanction. The BDS movement is a, you know, it's a 
left-wing, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic movement. And I guess at A&M, one of the things a student radio station required for a, kid, for a student to be on the student radio, he had to agree not to say anything in support of BDS, boycott, you know, divest, and sanction Israel. So that's a really, I mean, I have to tell you, as a conservative, I am, I am outraged and appalled by the anti-Semitism of the BDS movement. I hate that movement. I would like it to be denounced. But we need to be like Patrick Henry, the people who say, you know what? I don't agree with what you think or what you're saying, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. The answer probably at A&M is they have to revoke that rule, allow this student radio station and others to speak up about the BDS movement, and if they support it, they support it, and let the free speech, robust free speech we're supposed to have in a free country, let that deal with the problem. But you, uh, they're also, so one criticism of the left was, yes, vague, it lacks guidelines, yes, of course it does. Number two, well, it's just redundant. The First Amendment already exists. It was one of the snarky comments from some smart aleck, you know, free speech advocate at one of the prominent universities was saying, we already have the First Amendment. We don't need this. Well, obviously, the First Amendment hasn't been coercive enough, powerful enough to force these universities to comply. The universities tolerate left-wing activism to shut down conservative speakers. And we've gone through the examples on this show many times, but we've had commencement speakers who withdrew their agreement to speak because of violent protests on campus. And the campus administrators, instead of cracking down on the protesters and saying, if you can't shape up, you won't graduate and you're going to be expelled. The college administrators humored the protesters and, and forced, therefore, the conservative commencement speaker to withdraw. In particular, Condoleezza Rice that happened to. There were other protests against conservative speakers on college campuses. It's almost always the liberal students protesting a conservative speaker coming to campus. And this is part of the problem on campuses is these students have somehow got a contorted view of the First Amendment that makes them think that what they're really what they have the right to do is not just to think what they think and say what they think, but to shut other speech down. They think they have the right to not be offended, to not even have present on their campus speech that they don't like. This has been a huge and, and really disastrous contortion of the understanding of the First Amendment on college campuses. And it's fabulous that President Trump finally said, you know what, we're done with this. We have been on the conservative right for decades, complaining about how radically left colleges are, complaining about how they're indoctrination centers, complaining about how students leave campuses, leave college, and they are, they are just indoctrinated against America. They think America's bad. They think freedom is bad. They think free markets are bad. So this is President Trump taking a baby step toward correcting the problem. This order of President Trump is wonderful. It doesn't go far enough. It's certainly not going to solve the problem of how extremely biased college campuses are and how their college, um, you know, how their faculty is so, so rabidly leftist. He can't, I mean, he hasn't done it yet. I, I got to wonder if he'd think of some further ways in which to really force campuses to begin to accommodate free speech. For, for example, saying, you know, you just need to find some way to find balance in your faculties. You need to find some you know, you can't, you shouldn't really be 33 to 1 
Democrats to Republicans in your history departments, but it's a shot across the bow and the fact that it's making, um, in fact, I'll tell you one last astonishing little attack from the American left on President Trump's executive order about speech was someone who is essentially saying, in fact, this is, yeah, this is Sanford Unger, the director of Georgetown University's Free Speech Project. I think he, Trump, only cares about a thin sliver of speech. He and others went on to say Trump is really just, this is the right wing goal. In fact, there was a yeah, leading campus free speech group, blah, blah, just talking about how the, um, they, they think that Trump really is trying to uh, move forward one of the goals of the right to, you know, to, uh, to get their viewpoints uh, heard on campus. I'm thinking, yeah, actually, I want our, the right wing views heard on campus. They're barely ever heard. So this is a great move forward. And you know that expression in the military about, you know, you know, you must be over your target because you're taking fire. The fact that the left is so unglued and they are unglued about this um, free speech order is, is a sign that Trump is exactly right. He's on the right track and he is. And I love that he did it. So that, that is a, a great thing, President Trump's order, uh, executive order on free speech. And the last topic for today, I want to hit on, and this is this, um, you know, the Democrats uh, kind of lost a big battle this last week when they had the Mueller report come out and the uh, summary so far indicates that Mueller basically said, disappointing the American left you know, hugely, truly there really is no evidence that President Trump or anyone on his team conspired with the Russians. There's no evidence of a conspiracy, no evidence of collusion, and no and no actionable obstruction of justice. And Attorney General Barr, in announcing what was in the Mueller report, even said, there's nothing that amounts to it, and you can prosecute here this obstruction of justice. So the Mueller report cleared President Trump. This has made the left crazy, which is why they are, they have shifted gears instantly as they always do. And they're back onto one of their victim modes, back onto one of their uh, economic arguments, which is in today, on this very day today in the U S house, they are debating and going to bring to a vote, supposedly a bill called the paycheck fairness act and the paycheck, or as I've been calling it, the paycheck Marxist act. And you need to understand how what is so wrong about this Paycheck Fairness Act? First, I will always give the Democrats credit. They think of the best names for everything they do. They always have these names. I mean, who could be against Paycheck Fairness? It's like being against puppies or rainbows or something. But the Paycheck Fairness Act is an insidious, Marxist, obnoxious, big government, power grab, plaintiff, lawyer, uh, Enrichment Act, and I want to explain to you why. And in particular, I want to talk about today because it is part of the left-wing determination to keep women voters in the Democrat fold. The reason the Democrats are pushing this is because they need women voters. Democrats have always, their entire, in fact, Nancy Pelosi describes, you ask her, what does your party stand for? She had a famous statement where she couldn't, she didn't mention any issues. She said, well, we stand for women and we stand for um, African-Americans and we stand for um, Asian-Americans and we stand for Hispanic-Americans. She went through groups, silos of people and said, that's what they stand for instead of saying what they stand for. But the Paycheck Fairness Act is the effort of the American left 
to convince women to remain in some outraged, angry, defiant victim status where you are being encouraged by the left to think you're a victim, that there really is just profound injustice in this country, that you know they, the Congress has to step in and stop the, the evil employers and the evil companies from being so unfair to women. And frankly, it treats women and, and talks to women, talks about women as though we are so lame brain, we can't handle anything ourselves, and we need the Congress to step in. So let me start with a few talking points to understand. Paycheck Fairness Act is premised on the idea that there is a massive gender gap in pay between women and men. This is a lie. This is a lie. In fact, there is not a gender gap. There is a choice gap. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. If you total up all of the salaries paid to women in America for all the jobs they have, and then all the salaries paid for paid to men and the jobs they have and divide by the number of people yes it is true that the average man earns more than the average woman okay you know but that is not a relevant data point it is an irrelevant data point what those what that data really says is that women and men are not the same that women and men don't choose the same jobs, that women and men don't live precisely the same lifestyles. In fact, there is so much data about this. I've been over this on my show before, but the reason I want to go back to it is it's so ridiculous. We have to have this conversation over and over and over. And it's so ridiculous that the left wants to keep pushing this lie to American women. Women are not cheated in pay in America. I'm not saying that every employer is perfect. Yes, there are employers who probably are not fair and probably treat pay men in individual cases, may pay a man more than a woman for roughly similar jobs. That's why there has been on the books since 1963, the Equal Pay Act. This has been illegal since 1963. Women can make claims based on sex discrimination in the workplace, based on all sorts of things, including pay under Equal Pay Act, under the Title VII Act, under every single state has a law like this. You can, you can take your employer to state court. There are all sorts of legal remedies available. That's the first point. Already legal remedies available. Second point, the gender gap is not, the gender pay gap is a choice gap, meaning more women than men choose careers that pay on average less money. More women than men choose nursing, as an example, and that pays less on average than engineering. More women than men ask for time off to care for family, to be a caretaker for their parents, to be a caretaker for their children. More women than men are likely to ask for part-time work based on outside responsibilities, family responsibilities of some kind. This is called freedom. This is called women being in charge of their own lives. This is called women being able to decide that even though, yeah, and I did this, I'm a lawyer by background. I, you know, I understood practicing law in California that once I had a baby, I was probably not going to want to work as hard as some men who happened to have a wife at home who was staying home with her kids. And we have friends who, where the woman is a lawyer and she works full time and the husband stays home. It's a free country. People can concoct whatever they want. But I want to make this point really clear to you. The gender pay gap is a lie the Democrats have, are pushed, pushing on this country. 
the gender pay gap does not exist in reality. In fact, I'll tell you, amazing statistic, turns out that in many, in, um, in some occupations, in fact, many occupations, especially in larger cities, if you really do apples to apples, same education level, professional job, same roughly amount of years in service, years working, that you actually, women are paid more than men. Think about that. The reality is this apples to apples comparison, the gender gap that the Democrat keeps, keeps whining about completely disappears. And you may not have known this, but the Democrats proposing this Paycheck Fairness Act do know it. They know the gender gap is a myth. It's a lie. It's a lie the left uses to keep women outraged, to keep women thinking you're victims, to keep women thinking, well, I really better turn to the federal government and ask them to pass some other big law so that they can protect me because I'm a helpless woman. I mean, it is so insulting how the left talks to women. It is time for the feminexit, ladies. This feminexit, get away from left-wing thinking the things we're such victims that all we need is the, is the left-wing powers in Washington to make a, new, uh, make a big new law and fix paycheck fairness. I will tell you, though, on Paycheck Fairness, Paychecks, excuse me, Paycheck Fairness Act or the Paycheck Marxist Act, what's really wrong with it? Besides the fact that it's unnecessary, there is no gender gap, we already have laws that exist, but here's what's really wrong with it. It's a power grab by the Democrats in this country. It is a full paycheck, a, a, a full employment promise to plaintiff's lawyers in this country. It gives plaintiff's lawyers incentive to find women to file lawsuits because the plaintiff lawyers can make more money out of women filing lawsuits over, over alleged unfairness in pay. So it is incentivizing lawsuits. It's incentivizing lawyers to file lawsuits, incentivizing women to file lawsuits. But the other thing it does, it's a massive burden on business owners, including women business owners. Part of the bill requires endless, ridiculous level documentation, explanation by employers. So employers already spend whatever percent of their time, of their budget with administrivia, filling out forms to turn into the federal government. Now you have a whole new set of forms, a new set of data collection collected by the employer about every employee and what justifies, why is Susie Q pay paying this or Joe is getting this? You're gonna have employers spending time and money Instead of creating more products, build, creating new jobs, you know, building a business, filling out forms to send in the federal government who will collect massive data from every employer in America. And then you have to know the bureaucrats in Washington are going to use that data to come after employers. They're going to be in employers' faces saying, well, we in Washington, we sat back in our department, we noticed that, you know, right here you have... You know, this woman, and she's only paid this, this guy, he seems pretty similar. I don't know, why, why is he getting more? You know what it's like when you work. If you are, if you've worked outside your home, you know perfectly well how it works. There are people who work harder and people who don't. Employers reward hard workers. They reward people who take incentive. They reward people who achieve. The whole ability of employers to reward achievement instead of just a rigid, employee X, employee Y, looks kind of similar on paper, guess I better pay them the same. I mean, it is just a, and this is why I get around to calling it Marxist. This is the government stepping in 
and taking the place of the employer to decide what that employer is allowed to do in his or her business. What that employer is allowed to do, what they, what they must set their salaries at, where they may not pay, and is, it permits the federal government to get in the middle of every workplace in America to settle fairness disputes. This is a Marxist bill by the left. This is everything wrong with the American left. Treating women as victims, lying to women about the paycheck, the, the, the gender gap in pay, which is not true. It's a choice gap based on choices I am grateful we have in this country. I'm grateful women have the freedom to work when they want and how they want and to take the breaks they want in life, to choose their life and their career. It is everything bad about the left. It is controlling the employers, requiring data collection, adding to the expense of running a business, insinuating the federal government busybody bureaucrats into every business to reassess whether or not you made the right decision and what you're paying X versus Y. This is a, a big government control, Marxist thinking, left-wing dream. In other words, it's a disaster. And finally on this show today, I want to turn to our final little segment relating to our talking points, our going away, you know, why it matters to you. I say this so often on my shows and my speeches I give. I'm always saying you have to understand why these things matter to you. So on the screen, I want to just put a full screen. If we can, I'm going to run through why these things matter to you. Why the Jesse Smollett, Smollett whitewash, which is what... Uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel called it, why it matters to you. We either have a rule of law or we don't. The ruling elite who happened to hang out with the Obamas on the weekend should not have different rules than the average Joe. We have the failure to evenly apply the law. It creates both resentment of the legal system, distrust in the legal system, or as we saw in Chicago, we have the police going around the prosecutors and quick putting out, releasing to the public the entire Smollett investigation because they can see the prosecutors are trying to hide that information from the public by trying to get a judge to order it can't be released. This is very bad for America, and the Smollett thing actually was just bad for America because it had all the left-wing talking points about what an evil, horrible nation this is, and Smollett's intent was exactly that Next slide, please. Why this matters to you after Smollett. We have the next slide, if we could. Uh, and that is on free speech at colleges. People, we live in a country where we have, I don't even know what percent of kids it is, but it's, it's over half of young people actually think socialism is better than freedom. They did not get this idea out of thin air. They got it from college professors. They got it from high school classes. They got it from our education system. We have people, this is this uh, left-wing bias and, and just, it's just hideous left-wing anti-American bias in America's universities hurts America. You're gonna have, you wanna know why this matters to you? You're gonna have kids leaving college campuses voting for Bernie Sanders because they don't believe that what happened to Venezuela could possibly happen to us. Of course it could. It matters whether young people understand America or not America, freedom or not freedom, free markets versus socialism. It matters and they don't understand. 
and his order has a little bit of teeth in it, Trump's order about free speech, a little bit of teeth in it, because it does threaten colleges where it hurts the pocketbook. Frankly, a much deeper, harsher order is probably going to be needed to bring college campuses around because they're not going to lightly, lightly let go of what has become the norm on college campuses, which is conservative views are unacceptable. This puts a burden on our tax structure. It puts a burden on our elections. It puts a burden on our entire country that we have, and we've even lost on college campuses, the ability to have a political conversation. And it matters in this country. You see how divided we are? Part of the reason we're divided, we can't even have conversations because the left has taught young people you, are, you don't have to put up with any viewpoint you don't like. It hurts America to continue tolerating this. Last slide, please, if we could, and why this Marxist Paycheck Fairness Act or the Paycheck Marxist Act matters to you. Our economy is booming. More women have jobs than ever before more African-Americans, more Hispanic-Americans. We have a booming economy with jobs, real jobs, teaching people the connection between hard work and reward, a connection the left never wants young people to grasp, never wants anyone to grasp. The Paycheck Fairness Act, or the, this is a Marxist, advancing Marxist control over free enterprise in America, it hurts America in countless ways. It costs employers more money. Employers have to dedicate more resources, accountants, bookkeepers, whoever these people are going to be, to fill out government forms to explain to some dopey bureaucrat in Washington why you paid Joe more than Sue in this job, but why Sue got less than more than Fred in some other job. You're going to have the government Number one, eating away at the profits of private businesses, spending time filling out all this garbage. You're agreeing with the federal government that they have the right to assess your pay scale and your relative decisions about who gets paid what, and probably to criticize it. And eventually, you know they will use it to come after businesses. You're enabling the plaintiff's bar to encourage women to file lawsuits and, to, and file more lawsuits. Ultimately, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen is more employers are not going to want to hire women. It's a terrible thing to say, but if you're an employer and you realize this law has gone into place and you have a position open and you can see a woman coming along and a man, this is not going to be a minor consideration. Am I ultimately going to end up with some possible lawsuit because of this law? Where I can just hire a guy and then I don't have to worry about it? I don't want employers to think that way, but it was crazy. It'd be crazy to think they wouldn't. Of course they would. And all of this, the Paycheck Fairness Act, is designed to solve a problem that doesn't exist. We already have lots of protection in federal law and in state law for women who are, and I know that some women are treated unfairly in their workplace in terms of their pay and in other ways. I'm all for having you challenge your employer. I'm all for having you insist on fairness. I'm all for using the existing law. But understand, Paycheck Fairness Act is redundant of existing laws, creating massive burden on employers. And really, at this point in, the, in 2019, with presidentials coming up in 2020, this is simply a Democrat Party women's vote recruiting effort. 
That's what this bill is, a Democrat Party recruiting effort to bring women voters into line to agree with them that you're a victim, that there is reason for perpetual outrage, that the, the world is unfair, America is unfair, business is unfair, and the only way to fix it is to give the government more power. We need a feminexit, women exiting the idea that the left-wing solutions ever help anything. I'm Debbie Georgias. This is America Can We Talk. I urge you to tune in every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to listen, take these talking points, share them with your friends. If you're on Facebook, please like this page, share this post. If you're watching on YouTube, live, or you're watching later, please subscribe to this page. Please comment. I love your comments. Love to hear from you. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America?